Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. to the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows babylon 5 versus ds9 i'm bob and cascadia that's matt from the southland we're part of uncanny treks how you doing tonight matt doing all right we had two season premieres to look at this week season three premiere of babylon 5 and the season four premiere of ds9 uh, it had introduction to a character i'm not too uh too thrilled with and i've, I've heard your opinion of him throughout this podcast so Kind of anxious to jump into it. Yeah, yeah, it's time to talk about the Jar Jar Binks of Babylon 5. That's right, Marcus Cole. So we're talking about uh, the season three premiere of Babylon 5, Matters of Honor, which originally aired on the 6th of November, 1995. And then, like you said, the season four premiere of DS9, a two-parter, Way of the Warrior, which originally aired on the 2nd of October, 1995. Yeah, I completely forgot Way of the Warrior was a two-parter. It just It's almost like a... TV movie when you watch it there's no split when you watch it in streaming yeah yeah I think it's actually like long enough that when they did split it for syndication they, they had to cut a couple scenes oh wow okay yeah it's 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 great though it's a good episode yeah very good episode very good episode you but also want to through the a plot oh, go ahead. yeah but I'll, before you do that though, I also want to point out too that these were only a month apart which is crazy to me yeah yeah it and it's also kind of interesting because this might have been a little different in England, but in America, I think the last few episodes of season two aired right at the same time as the first few episodes of season three of Babylon 5, and then they went on a little hiatus. So it's a uh, Babylon 5 apparently had a pretty irregular airing schedule. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the A plot of Matters of Honor. The dumbest member of a dumb organization, these are Bob's words, Marcus Cole, arrives on the station to ask for the station to break a blockade of a ranger's training camp in Drazi Space. The means? The Defiant, <clears throat> I mean the White Star, a small but powerful ship made from Mimbari and Vorlon technology, unrecognizable as Mimbari but crewed by the religious caste. 
Indeed. And then in the B plot, we have also arriving on station an Earth Force spy, David and Dolly, who comes to ask the ambassadors about the shadow vessel from Keffer's gun camera footage from the season two finale. He gets deception from Delenn, a dream from Malari, and the runaround from Garibaldi, who's covering for Sheridan's absence on the blockade-breaking mission. But finally, Indawe gets an answer from Jakar that comes from ancient Narn scripture. Which uh, is, to me, way more interesting than the whole Ranger stuff we're going to talk about, but we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. They really should have leaned more into Narn religion rather than Minbari religion and Rangers. Narn religion is much more fascinating. And then the C-plot, Bob. Yeah, in the C-plot, Malari tries to terminate his relationship to Mr. Morden, but finds out that Morden is now working with Lord Rifa instead. Yep. So. The whole time, they were probably working, uh, he was working both of them, Bob. Uh, I don't think it's the whole time. I think it's just once he starts detecting uh, Malari's uh, reluctance. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because Rifa, Rifa clearly doesn't know what's going on the first couple of times that Morden, uh, rather, the first couple of times that Malari has the shadows intervene on the Centauri's behalf. Rifa's clearly confused. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe he's just acting that way, Bob. We have a lot of that going on in this show. There's no grounds at all to assume <laughs> that Lord Rifa knew about the shadows until relatively recently. What if Morden's been making deals with, like, all of the uh, Centauri? No, that that would be dumb. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just say it. Maybe you have to have so many Centauri on board before you do the shadows can get involved. No, that, that's no, stupid. No, not all a... Right. Okay. No, not going to no-sell that one. That's just... <laughs> all right. So we, we open up with some CGI repairs on the tram. Did that make you feel good, Matt? Some great continuity, Bob. I'm glad we see that B5 is being repaired after some of the damage it took in the season finale. Yeah, I, I could make a catty remark about certain writers and certain fans uh, mistaking tight continuity for tight writing. But, uh, you know, whatever. It, 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 it's a nice little callback to the season two finale. And then I really do appreciate, though, uh, you know, not being catty, that Kasha takes such a sense of satisfaction in still being inscrutable to Sheridan. Uh, so even though, you know, we had the big reveal last season, we know Kosh is, uh, you know, true form, quote unquote, he still uh, is not going to tell Sheridan anymore that he absolutely has to, which is very pleasing. True. And he, uh, yeah, he keeps the whole mysterious vibe now that he's back in his suit and he, he just doesn't stay exposed all the time. He went back to his home world to like, re or went back to his ship to recharge or something. Is that how? Yeah. For a week, they say. Yeah. Is that how angels work? Apparently, apparently they're introverts, Matt. They're introverts. It's exhausting to be out in public. Only so many people can see them, and then they have to go back and, like, regain their energy, and then they go back out. Like, why we don't see angels now, like, in our actual real world. Is that the, the thought? I, I, I think you're overreading it. Good Lord. Today is, like, the uh, the day for overreading, Bob. I'm just getting, I'm delving deep into this, and I shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would say that's true. Speaking of something that, that doesn't bear close examination, um, <laughs> I'd forgotten that uh, Marcus Cole, the world's worst ranger, is introduced to us by sacrificing a perfectly good Drazi ranger, which was sad. But you do like first see him in the cockpit of a little fighter, and I, I'd forgotten that, but it's like, man, the show is really working overtime to give him Luke Skywalker vibes sitting in the little cockpit of his fighter. 
Yeah, Marcus Cole looks like he belongs in like another time or like in a comic book shop arguing about how great Dark Horse is while smoking a cigarette. Uh, uh, see, at first I thought that was a, uh, I, I misread that and I thought you were making like some sort of Star Wars Dark Horse comics reference, but now I see you're just saying he looks like a comic book guy. Okay, I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah look, he, looks, looks, looks 90s comic book guy, like yeah. just hanging out. He needs, yeah. a, he needs a little bit more of a pot belly and possibly an underage girlfriend. That would really <laughs> all together. True. All right, so that was all before the opening credits, Bob. We had a, a good deal go on there before, but... That opening credit scene is way different than what we've seen in the previous seasons. Yeah, it's the Babylon 5 tradition. You change it up every season. Yeah, the CGI is way better. Uh, it's super intense, the opening credits. Like, the music sounds like, you know, they're at war, mm-hmm. which I guess is the whole point. When they get to the point where they show the characters, the cameraman or the director or whatever probably told them, like, all right, turn your head. And, like, some of them turn their head, but then some just nod their heads and it's really weird, and I feel like it should be give, it's giving me some kind of message. <laughs> oh man, it really is the uh, week for overreading. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, maybe I'll watch. Maybe I'll watch the credits again. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> um, yeah, let me know if they're turning their heads. If they're good, maybe they're nodding their heads. They're bad. If they don't do anything. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. So we also get that creepy uh, last best hope for victory line, which. I believe Ivanova debuted in her log at the end of the season two finale. Uh, don't yes. love that line. So, although I will watch the opening uh, credits one time more to verify the theory <laughs> about the nodding, uh, that that will be the last time I watch it. I will be hitting that old skip button on Hobo Max uh, for the other times. And then the other thing is uh, Zach Allen has gotten a big promotion. He's in the uh, season two opening credits now. Yeah, he wasn't in the previous one. I guess he replaced Keffer. Uh, Keffer maybe uh, wasn't. Oh God, it's maybe what Natoth was in the season two opening credits too, right? Uh, I think so. Maybe I know Keffer was in the season two credits because I look at him like, who the hell is that? Yeah, Keffer. Keffer definitely was, and I'm pretty sure Natoth was too, despite appearing in like what three episodes at best. Right. Yeah, she's gone yeah. apparently. I mean, she, she's this would be a good time for her to be there with you know Jakar having issues, but they'll come back to her, although. Not in a super satisfying way. I don't. I don't want to like build it up or anything. But she's not totally gone from the show. But yeah, don't don't expect to see her for a while. Oh, we get this character in Dalway who shows up. He's played by Tucker Smallwood. Yeah, yeah. He's a little. He's a character actor who's been around. He had played as Zindi in uh, Star Trek Enterprise season three, aka the Good Enterprise season. Yeah, he comes on board and he's asking everybody like what they know about this ship that Keffer got the picture of or whatever that was sent to uh, the news. Nobody really knows anything except for uh, Jakar, who has images well, of Delenn it in his holy book. Delenn plenty, but she won't tell him. Well, well yeah, Delenn, well, Delenn lies, yeah, which I, we, I thought was like something she wasn't supposed to be able to do. Well, she doesn't lie. She, um, she tells a very narrow truth that she's <laughs> never seen the ship before. I think, I think being part human has allowed her to lie, Bob. I like that theory. No, it's just, you just need to go, it's a, it's like she doesn't lie, she's never seen the shadow shit before, she just, you know, she just neglects to mention that she knows what it is. Yeah, she just knows everything about the shadows. Yeah, in that spirit, Malari also uh, is kind of holding back too, because he, he knows what the ships are, he's seen them before, I believe. Well, no, he, he says he's seen them in his in his dream or whatever. He's only seen it in his, in his dream, which the guy, like, kind of dismisses, because it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, yeah, I guess I was confusing him witnessing the bombardment of Narn with having seen the shadow ships, which he had. Yeah, I guess there's no, he hasn't had occasion to see the shadow ships. Right. He's just summoned them. He doesn't know what they look like. Guess that overanalyzing has helped me out here, huh, Bob? Yeah, man, whatever. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go rest in my organic ship for a week. <laughs> All right. All right, so you got thoughts on the White Star, Matt? Yeah, let, let's talk about the elephant in the room here, Bob. The White Star, which is the Defiant. It's ridiculous how this is... They're very similar. Yeah, although in fairness to JMS, I, it seems likely that the White Star would have been in the plot, in the show Bible that the Paramount executives had access to. So it just seems like, again, you know, another case of, like, DS9 beating him to the punch of what he was already going to do. Yeah. The one thing I will say about the White Star is it is not sexy on the inside. I, I wouldn't say it's particularly sexy on the outside. I don't I don't love the design. I mean, I'm okay with the outside design. I, I'll, I'll, it's okay. I think because it has some of that Vorlon organic look to it, but mm. the inside just doesn't look great. It's a newer, it's a new set, I think. I don't know yeah, what they is. did. It's just the weird controls and where everyone is located. They don't look like they're in like a contained. I guess I'm just comparing it to Star Trek is the problem, and maybe I just should yeah. be a little more open-minded about it. But geez, it just doesn't look right. You should be more open-minded, but at the same time, yeah, it's I, I kind of have to agree. It's not a, you know, it's it's always weird that we talk about ships being sexy, but uh, yeah, the White Star <laughs> not not that sexy on the inside or or on the outside. And then it's, you know, at this point, I'm kind of turning on the Minbari. I'm getting hostile to the Minbari. It's going to get real bad in the middle of season four. But right now, I, I don't I don't love them. And then, like you say, having a bunch of Minbari always over your shoulder that you can't speak to, that you have to have the <laughs> annoying Mr. Lanier translate uh, you to, that uh, it just doesn't seem like a recipe for effective uh, starship commanding. No, and then on top of all this, like it's the religious case that's in charge of it. So I don't know if they're like the best people for the job, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, no, it's not <laughs> not the situation I would want to be going into war on. I would, I would much rather have uh, my one Romulan officer in charge of the cloaking device than I would have to deal with an entire crew of uh, Minbari monks. Yeah, I agree. All right, but speaking of uh, sexy ships, uh, what do you think about that uh, first up-close look at a shadow vessel? Yeah, it looks like a, uh, a winged angel of death, Bob. Is that what we're going for? We're going for the opposite of the angel thing with the, with the, with the, the light angel with Borlon? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think we might. I think we know. We uh, get to see that ver they're very powerful, but they have a weakness. Um, I think we've had the screaming effect with the shadow ships before, but it's, it's a lot more pronounced in this episode because yeah. you're a lot more, you're a lot uh, closer to it. So yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very cool use of the shadow vessel. I'm at this point, I actually may be rooting for uh, the shadows uh, to win. I mean, if Marcus and the white star are the side of good, I mean, eh, maybe evil's got something going for him. Yeah. What about uh, Sheridan too? Like being a bit of a bonehead and just saying like, let's go ahead and, uh, put this we're going to go through the jump gate but we're going to make it look like we can jump ourselves and probably blow up this whole damn ship without even like thinking thinking twice about it well you know des desperate times desperate measures i mean that was like quick though it was like oh we're fucked let's uh let's do this <laughs> and everybody on the ship's like bad idea and he's like no let's do it I, I did. Know. I did like that line of uh, I, I can't. I can't do it full justice, but 
he says something to Dylan to the effect of, "It's not the first time I've killed a ship. Everybody said was unkillable." Oh yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he has killed. He has killed two now. At this point, he's yeah, destroyed yeah, a shadow he, ship and destroyed a Minbari. Yeah, the only the only Minbari ship uh, destroyed in the Earth Minbari War, which I, I like. On the one hand, it's kind of cool backstory. On the other hand, oh, it, it's one of those things like Minbari never lie. It's just too universal a statement to be credible. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Like that's the thing. It's like the Earth Minbari War. I mean, and you kind of see this in the in the beginning movie eventually. But the Earth Minbari War is kind of annoying because it's just like it goes on for a long time for Earth to only destroy one Minbari ship. You know? Yeah. Is there a lot of planning involved? In the I, film? It's just one of those. Like, I, I get the point that JMS wants to make that, like, you know, the humans are a young, stupid race and are at like not at all equal with the the Minbari, which is, yeah, very, I mean, very true, very true. But, like, you don't have to be, like, so hyperbolic and absolute in the, for that to be true, you know? Yeah. Toward the end of this episode, Bob has some interesting things that just take place. Indawi goes back to someone on Earth Force. It's like a senator. Yeah, a lady senator. He delivers his report about the shadow ships and says there's nothing to really worry about. They, there's, it's, We'll just say it's an isolated incident, you know. But then mm-hmm. this lady senator, she meets with Morden and some kind of psychop. And they talk about a plan yeah, for Earth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like all coming together. Yeah, I was criticizing you for positing that Morden met with all the Centauri. But it actually is a kind of like neat, subtle answer of why we never saw Morden approach any humans on Babylon 5, which is that he didn't need to. He was already like, you know, in the upper echelons of the Earth Alliance government. Yeah, that explains it like big time. It's like it's all coming together now because, you know, we knew Psychor was involved somehow. But now, you know, Morden in the shadows, we know that they have dealings with Earth politicians. So it's it's a big conspiracy going on here. It's not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Babylon and Five then, is our last hope, Bob. I mean, it really is. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, no, and it, it, the the involvement of the Psychor in the Shadow Conspiracy is pretty interesting too. Which will that that'll that'll kind of become clear why the Shadows need them on side later. But we also get to see Sheridan form a war council. So it's Ivanova, Garibaldi, Franklin, Dolan, and Cole. And, you know, eh, always a good time for a committee, I guess. No, but we have, like, way too many committees on this station. <laughs> They're going to have to, like, get a schedule together and ensure everyone can make these meetings because it's ridiculous. I did like that they said we're going to meet every two weeks unless there's an emergency. <laughs> it was very clear. I mean, the most important thing you can do about for when you have a new committee is to uh, set the meetings far apart and put very sharp time limits on them. Yeah. I mean, you've got the Ranger Committee, you've got the Coup Committee, and then you've got this uh, War Committee. <laughs> well, I think this is replacing the Ranger and the Coup Committees. Okay, so they can all, okay. Yeah, it's all, it's all one committee now. They it's merged all it all. Committee. Well, good. I'm glad they decided on that. That's that's good to know. Do you feel like anybody's missing from this committee, Matt? Uh, I mean, the any anybody that's not a ranger or a Earth Force person is there. So, I mean, you don't have any Centauri, Norn. Well, I can see. Yeah, you can see why you wouldn't want any Centauri in Centauri on your war committee. 
But, right. I mean, doesn't it seem a little weird that they don't invite Jakar? Well, yeah, but he's just citizen Jakar now, Bob. He's not really... He, I mean, who the fuck to... is Marcus, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's yeah. head of the Rangers, Bob. He's He's you, the... You're gonna you're gonna invite this comic store clerk who probably <laughs> has uh, violated numerous laws about the age of consent, but you're not going to invite <laughs> Citizen Jakar. I I think it's speciesism, Matt. I don't know what else to say. I think it's speciesism. Uh, they no longer have any real say on Babylon Five. He's no, there's no ambassador. This isn't the Security Council. Yeah, Jakar doesn't get. To... That's another yeah. damn committee. <laughs> Yeah, he, Jakar doesn't get to go to the advisory council. Uh, Londo threw him off that. We know that. Yeah, he so needs, he's got he's got some time open. He could. Yeah, all, all he's doing is sitting in his quarters reading the Bible, Matt. Like, <laughs> the, the man needs to socialize. He needs to have a project. Like, he's, get him up. he's in there turning words into shadow ships. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. No, like I said, I just I just feel like it's a, it's messed up that they didn't include our boy Citizen Jakar. Yeah, that's that odd. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I believe it's uh, Delenn's line describing uh, the shadows in the war committee, but she d describes them as having uh, walked among the stars like giants, which is a pretty uh, great line because she's having to explain what the shadows are to uh, Franklin, who kind of ironically and kind of in a very sort of meta TV way points out, well, I've been spending all my time in, uh, in sickbay. So she has to explain who the shadows are to him. And as she does that, we get some very X-Files music and the camera airily pulls out over Dylan. It's a pretty cool shot. And you just get to hear like a few things that she says. I kind of wanted to hear the whole thing, you know, like she's telling Franklin, but. Did you feel a little lost, Matt? Did you want a little catch up from Dylan at the committee meeting? Yeah, I was a little annoyed because I only got like three lines. And I think I already knew what they were. It was something. Just is, it, is it a little sexist that they make Dylan give the minutes, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, if she was just, like, recording them, that would be sexist. She's actually able to talk, so it's all <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, no, I kid, I kid. <laughs> well, I actually do think it's messed up that Jakar is not there. I, 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 I'm just making a joke about her giving That's <laughs> Yeah. Story yeah, time yeah. with Delenn. Story time with Delenn. She would be a cool aunt. Like, she'd be your wine aunt, you know. She'd get, she'd get a little wasted. She'd talk to you about, like, QAnon stuff, but in Babylon 5 terms. Yeah, no, I could see that. Any other thoughts on um, our uh, Babylon Five season three premiere, Matt? Not really. Let's just we can move on to DS Nine. Well, uh, I've always said you were a very dishonorable man, Matt, but you covered matters of honor pretty well. And uh, speaking of honor, we'll uh, move into Way of the Warrior. You want to walk us through that A plot, which in really is just the plot. I didn't. I couldn't really find a B or C plot here. No, there was, it was just a it was, plot. This was the war centric episode. Uh, yeah, it was, it was basically a DS9 movie, like, starring Worf. Yeah. A Klingon task force under the command of General Martok shows up to the station and harasses Odo in freighter traffic and hate crimes Garrick, so Starfleet sends Worf to investigate. Indeed. Uh, so I know that there's one thing that's su super important that you want to address from the from the jump, Matt, from Go. Uh, you know, bald goat. Oh, oh, with with uh, Avery Brooks. Yeah, apparently that's the same actor who played him in seasons one through three. Oh man, yeah, no, the uh, racist little Matt uh, could not could not see that it was the same same man that it was all Avery Brooks the whole time. That's not no, no that's not ra that's that's not racist. That's the opposite of racist. <laughs> I, no, I'd say that it's different poles of racism. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, I thought it was. I legit thought it was a different dude. They look so different. 
there, there's the poll of thinking uh, every person of a group looks the same, and then that's the racist. Poll of, there's then there's the poll of being so face blind that you you can't see what a member of the different group looks like. It's two different polls. Uh, I can, uh, he looks very different. And I will say, it looks like he also <laughs> lost some weight, too. I want to add that in there oh, as well. I didn't, I didn't notice. I'm, I'm glad Avery Brooks was uh, was getting buff uh, yeah. in between seasons. Yeah, ago. he lost some weight, which is the other part of this that you're leaving out. I, he, he looks very different. Yeah, I, I left it out because I didn't notice it, but I, I yeah. feel bad about that. I feel bad about that. But, yeah, just to, just to be clear, uh, when Matt was a child, he was very confused when Avery Brooks uh, showed up in the season four premiere, bald and with a goatee, even though yeah. – he had a goatee, but was not bald late in season three. Yeah, I, I thought maybe they recast him, but I'm sorry, Avery Brooks, but you look like a different dude. You got skinnier, which is awesome. Maybe a little yeah, we say we say this with love, Avery Brooks. You're a yeah. favorite. Yeah. All right. So, did you do you remember like when Little Matt first saw this episode? If the fake out with the changeling phaser sweeps, like you know, for that drill, did it fool you? Did you think a changeling really was on station, or did? You, you're just like, ah, they're just playing car tricks with Odo. Oh, it totally, I, it, it, it fooled me the first time, but I, it's still really cool. Yeah, yeah, I think it got me the first time, too. Yeah. One thing I will say about this scene, though, is that it really puts Bashir in, like, too big of a role. Yeah, what's what's the doctor doing running around the station with a gun? <laughs> doesn't, he have, uh, doesn't he have things to take care of in the yeah. sick bay? Yeah, and then he ends yeah. up getting shot, and I'm like, well, the, uh, and Odo's like, Dr. Bashir's dead. And I'm like, yeah, Dr. Bashir's dead because he should be in med bay, not running around on the ship on a promenade <laughs> looking for changelings. I mean, maybe he felt so personally involved after the season three finale, uh, the adversary, a.k.a. the thing, that he felt the need to uh, you know, take a larger role, as they say. Possibly. Yeah, I did appreciate Quark trying to take bets on the on the Odo drills. That 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 that's a really good bet. I, I just enjoy. Yeah, this yeah. is an ongoing thing for Quark. Anything that he can like turn into a, uh, he can make bets on. He does. Because Marie did it in the last season too with. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, with Bashir's love life. With Will Bashir win uh, the Carrington Prize. He did it on a Brian's golden dart arm. Um, I know there were some other ones I forget yeah. too. This is why Quark is brilliant, because I didn't catch that the first couple of times I've watched DS9, but this time around I'm like, oh, he does it like all the time. You know, just... you know what would have been a great idea for like a subplot later in the show? What? Uh, you, you know how they make like a big deal of like the casualty list coming in on... Oh God, uh, Bob. <laughs> That's terrible. With then like Cisco like, finding out and getting angry at him, it would be, it would be so good. And then, like, Quark having to tearfully explain to Cisco that this is how the Ferengi honor the dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's uh, that awful, but that's actually not that bad. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's awful in, 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 in concept, but seeing that, it fits with the Ferengi. So, yeah. yeah it's, it's, aw- it's awful because you can envision it happening. That's why right. it's awful. <laughs> right. On better notes, um, we so we see Cisco have a date with uh, Cassidy Yates, which was pretty wild because we get both references to the Tholians and the Gorn, uh, you know, species we did not uh, we did not really see or hear much uh, from after the original series. And you know, we've complained a lot about how the show missed an opportunity with having a Romulan officer on the Defiant and then never following up with her. But man, if they'd had a Tholian ambassador on DS Nine, that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, I would have been down with that. That would have been cool. Yeah. We also get a kind of neat sense of how big the Federation is uh, from Cisco and Yates' uh, conversation. 
So DS9 and Cestus 3, the colony that uh, the Gorn destroyed in the original series and that, you know, has since been rebuilt and Cassidy Yates, his brother, lives on. They are eight weeks apart at maximum warp. Yeah, I was like, I was surprised by that. I used to have this like map of the Federation from, I think it was either from the Star Trek encyclopedia or like the Star Trek loot box thing I had like way before loot boxes were actually a thing. And, uh, I don't think it was the encyclopedia, but I think there was. Oh wait, there was a there was a movie book or something. Yeah, there ha- was like a there was like a thirty fifth Star Trek anniversary yes. magazine, and I think we both had it. It came with like a, although it wasn't a map of the Federation, it was a map of the four quadrants. Right, it was the four quadrants, yeah. and then like you had yeah, it showed where everything was, like where Voyager was in relation to like DS nine and all the other planet, all the other like important planets that they have visited. Yeah. Uh, yeah there is but, an Atlas of Star Trek book or well, it's not called Atlas. I think it's called like Star Trek, like stellar cartography or something like that. That yeah. came, I think it came, I don't think either of us ever had it. Cause I think it came out a little after the encyclopedia and the chronology and this technical manuals. And then if you look around, you can see some, you can see some maps of like, all the empires the federation juts up against which is kind of cool yeah and then star trek online they have you know you can go just basically anywhere so they have everything mapped out but i don't think it's to scale or that would be awful but (laughs) well i mean there's always the yeah there's always the problem too of like i mean granted any map does this uh but like it's you know you're flattening like four dimensional space in the two dimensions it's, right you know, yeah it's it's pretty fraught it's pretty fraught all right the other uh thing i wanted to point out about the uh the cassidy yates uh cisco date is i'd forgotten how obvious this is in retrospect but man spoilers yates is like pumping cisco for intelligence so hard yeah, I, I noticed the exact same thing. It's so blatantly obvious, like, when you watch it in retrospect. <laughs> like, it's it's pretty weird. Like, yeah. I kind of thought it was just her acting at first, but then I'm like, wait a minute. She's asking some very specific questions <laughs> about it. What's going down? So Yeah, um, and I guess, she, I guess, like, she's sort of playing it off as, like, oh, she's a freighter captain, and so it's, like, maybe she just wants to know this to plan her business more than she wants to know it to leak to the Maquis. Right. But still, it's like, whoo, boy. Um, it's something. Uh, but we do get introduced to one of the best characters on DS9 this episode, uh, fucking General Martok. You gotta love him. First thing he does is, uh, you know, insist that uh, Cisco and Kira cut open their palms because the blood will tell whether or not any of them are changelings. Yeah, you ever slice your hand like that, Bob? Yeah, I have. I have. Oh, I am like too big of a wuss, but I imagine it hurts pretty bad. Uh, I mean, it's like getting a paper cut. It's not that bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, paper cuts suck though, so I don't want to do that. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, it like, it sucks, but it's not like. (laughs) And then you know, then you get to then you get to clasp somebody else's hand with your blood, and it's cool. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta suffer for the cinematic cool moment. That's that's just how it goes. So, Bob, all this happens before the intro. Yeah, yeah. Very, very similar to BA5. Like, there's a lot that happens. Well, uh, I mean, there's another possibility here, too, Matt. The other possibility is that I have ADD and that the longer the episodes go, the worse my notes become. But, like, when the episode <laughs> starts, I'm, like, hyper-focused and I'm, like, oh, we can talk about that and we can talk about that. And then uh, 
then the intro saps the life out of me and the notes get a lot thinner. That's, I mean, I just want to throw that out as a possibility. I'm just, I'm just pretty sure like the intro, like, like, yeah, I do, I do know there was a long, like a long period between the beginning of the episode and the intro. It was almost like discovery level. How discovery is sometimes. Yeah, discover, you're, discovery. You're twenty minutes in, 20 and then it's like, the episode. yeah, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Guess we gotta have those opening yeah. credits. I mean, spoilers, Matt. It was wild how in that season finale of Discovery, they played the intro, the intro credits right after they showed Stacey Abrams <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> wow. All right. So one thing about the. Uh, the intro though this time around I didn't I didn't watch it Bob I, I fast forwarded through it when you it... failed in your duties to the show yeah in your duties uh, to me and in, most importantly Matt in your duties to the listeners yeah so tell me about the intro and why I should need to watch it on the next episode let me let me just paraphrase Cisco and say you're a disgrace to your uniform uh, but um, yeah well, I'm wearing, so I'm wearing I... gym shorts and an old navy shirt so okay <laughs> like <I don't... laughs> You're a disgrace to the uniform, Matt. <laughs> All right. Um, so I think this is the first time we see the DS9 intro sped up, um, which is not my fave. I kind of like the more leisurely one from the first three seasons. Although, you know, there, some people do joke that, oh, that's when the, you know, when the intro speeds up, that's when the show gets good. But that's not true, as we've established. Like, the show gets good late in season two. Yeah. Um, also, uh, it, it does kind of suck... You know, they have such a long intro uh, before the opening credits, but they still don't show Worf. And so the opening credits spoil the fact that Worf is going to be joining the cast. And then on the bright side, you do get a relatively close look at a docked Nebula class ship early in the credits, which is kind of cool. So it doesn't say guest starring? No, no, he's in like the regular, he's in the regular cast list, which... I mean, I'm sure for, like, contract reasons and union reasons you had to do, but it's, I'm not begrudging that. But it just, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe like, show him, like, doing something before the opening credits then. That would make sense. Yeah, that's because yeah, I did, like, they in the past, like, when Riker appeared or, um, you know, any of those other guys, any of the other characters, you know, they had a, a cameo appearance. Usually they would be either before the credits or their name would show up under guest starring such and yeah, such at the end. Yeah. yeah, but like after after the credits and when you were like they're rolling those last few credits over like the first scene after the credits. Correct, yeah. yes. Yeah. All right. So we have the Cleon still shaking down the station, harassing people, and they ask what we've all been wondering about Morn for three years. What is he doing on the station? Yeah, and there's no reply, of course, but I do want to point out that he is like carrying a sack around or something in this scene. I don't know what's in the sack. I don't know what's in it, but <laughs> it could let us in on whatever he does. To quote Tom Waits, what is he building in there? Yeah. <laughs> is he homeless, yeah. maybe? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like his... Oh, man. Uh, so I'd also forgotten this, but Garrick lets us know, although he downplays it as merely a misunderstanding, uh, that there had been a prior Klingon Cardassian war, uh, which went on for 18 years. Yeah, they're like always at war with somebody, so that's not surprising. But that, that is a. Pretty long war, lengthy war. Yeah, and then I, I don't know if we knew this before, but Cassidy Yates's freighter is called the Zosa, which I thought I recognized but couldn't couldn't uh, pin down. But it's the name of the second largest uh, ethnic group in South Africa. So the the biggest group is the Zulus, and the Zosa are the second. Yeah, I don't know. The Zulu doesn't have the same cool cool sounding name as the Zosa. So. I don't know. The Zulu sounds pretty cool too. 
they, they were good in Civilization. I remember I remember playing them in Civilization. <laughs> I just mean for the name of a ship. I don't know if Zulu would be the, like the Zulu. Get on the Zulu. Uh, <laughs> All right. So were you happy that uh, Worf joined the cast uh, back in the day? Was a little mad overjoyed to see his fave show up on his fave show? Not really back then. Like, I don't mind it now. But, like, back then it just seemed like a ratings grab. And I just thought it was weird because I felt like Worf was the Wolverine of Star Trek. Everyone knew who Worf was. He was, like, the cool Klingon guy. You know, he was... Every kind of advertising for Star Trek had, you know, Worf. Everybody knew the guy with the bandolier thing and the ridgy head. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I gotta confess that... Uh, uh, little Bob was already kind of a shitty hipster even then. And <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did not like Wolverine. And I did not like Worf as a child. Um, I thought they both sucked. Uh, they were very boring and stupid. And I didn't, I thought, you know, I also thought, and this, I wasn't wrong about this, that they were totally overexposed. As I've grown up, you know, I've grown to appreciate that there are a lot of things that annoy me about Wolverine still. But, like, you know, I love his, uh, tri- I love, his uh, love triangle with Jean Grey and Cyclops now. And, uh, you know, I've, I've come to appreciate Worf, too, even though he is, a, in a lot of ways, he's a ridiculous clown. But, you know, I, I've got a soft spot for him now, too. Speaking of love triangle, Bob, I forgot how yeah. amusing it was when Worf first meets Kieran Dax in medieval costume. Yeah, it seems like they were teasing that Worf could be uh, romancing either Kira or Dax, because they both seem a little flustered and a little flirtatious upon seeing him. Yeah, he did seem like he probably idolized Curzon at some point, though, with the, with yeah, the dialogue. Yeah, I'd forgotten about this, but yeah, so Worf knows who Curzon was and is very impressed that Jedzia used to be Curzon. And I like that this gives a new reading to the Worf-Dax romance, which is that Worf actually isn't interested in Jedzia. He's just <laughs> interested in Curzon. He wants to give yeah. Curzon. Maybe, maybe they can do that thing they did in that other episode where they put Curzon in Odo's body <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that'd be hard. Man, that'd be this high. podcast has led to some very interesting slasher fiction, just in case you guys are wondering. <laughs> no, 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 Matt. It's slash fiction. Slash, oh, sorry, slash fiction is very different. Oh, that's like <laughs> uh, yeah, different. that's like Jason Voorhees stabbed people in the back. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Although, yeah. you could do slash fiction with slashers, like you know, Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees finding true love. There you go. All right. There was some really great uh, gay fan art of uh, Pennywise the Clown and um, <laughs> the Babadook from um, from the movie The Babadook a few yeah. years ago. Uh, I remember that very fondly. All right. All right. Another thing that kind of amused me was, you know, spoilers, eventually Worf is going to get adopted into the house of Martok. But it's pretty funny that he begins that journey to adoption by disgracing one of Martok's boys interesting beginnings to that. I've, I've never really got into the whole Klingon, like this wharf not being a member of one of the house type things being like, you know, I, that was never my like cup of tea. Oh yeah, I agree. It's super lame. I just like Martok as a character. Right. But now I'm kind of like, but now that I'm watching it and paying closer attention, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're noting these things now because yeah. they would have been lost on me years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And speaking of father and sons, uh, we get a we get a very lame photo of Worf and his uh, son Alexander. Yeah, it just adds to that like Wolverine connection I mentioned earlier. You know, with the, with the photograph. But yeah, uh, <laughs> do you often forget that Worf even has a son? Like he pawned off to his parents. No, because I watched the Next Generation all the way through not that many years ago, and 
I painfully remember Alexander from that, who, I mean, he's not like Wesley Crusher or Neelix or Rom bad, but he's pretty damn close. <laughs> All I remember is that they had a, a wharf action figure, like where he's dressed as a cowboy, I guess, for a holodeck thing. Oh, yeah, and yeah, it, that's a season six or season seven episode. Yeah, and it, yeah. it came with a miniature Alexander, but it was not to size, to scale. <laughs> nice, nice. It was like G.I. Joe, like not G.I. Joe size, like, uh, you know those little army soldiers, like the green ones? It yeah. was like that size with the war figure, and it didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, and he that, was also that, dressed like a cowboy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that would be an homage to the episode Fistful of Datas, I believe. Oh, uh, no. Oh man, yeah, and you know, as I kind of noted at this point in the notes, he man, he really takes over the episode. Once he's in it, it's like every scene is a wharf scene. Here's a Mister Wharf scene. There's a Mister Wharf scene. There's a Mister Wharf scene. Yeah, it's like a Wharf next gen epilogue kind of episode or something. It's 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 like where's Wharf? Where did Wharf end up? Oh, here we go. He ended up on DS Nine. It's also an interesting like thing that the show keeps doing is that it loves to give Odo like potential rivals to be chief of security. First we had Eddington, and now we have Worf. Yeah, poor Odo just can't get any respect. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. And then this is the first time we see Galron in DS9, right? Yes. We haven't seen Galron before this. Uh, he's yeah, a, bu- yeah, a bug eyed motherfucker. Yeah, love, love Galron. So great, so great. Yeah, we'd seen him a fair amount in Next Generation, obviously, but first time in DS9. And you know, speaking of the Next Generation connections, we get... O'Brien, in conversation with Worf, is teasing uh, the Enterprise-E. Yeah, but it's just the tip, Bob. Just the tip, Bob. We, we don't see uh, the, the full Enterprise-E till first contact, which uh, Worf just happens to be Captain of Defiant in that opening battle scene of first contact. So, Yeah, it just randomly happens in between two episodes of season five of DS9, <laughs> right? They just push it in there, yeah. It, it, it fits. Just the tip, Matt. Just yeah, the just tip. <laughs> All right, and then, so, I, I think this is going to be my last Worf observation, but this is a big one. Fucking Worf. He disgraces his family to fulfill his oath to Starfleet, but then he still wants to resign from Starfleet anyway, so he signed up for something called the Niberite Alliance, who are never mentioned again, even in the novels or Star Trek Online, never come up, as far again, as far as I can tell. But, yeah, it's just like, okay, Worf, like, you're going to betray your family, then, like, Stay on in Starfleet. Why do you have to leave Starfleet too, Doc? Yeah, he, he was just—he was burnt out, Bob. But he's not very logical to begin with. It's like he wants to be a loner, but then he wanted to join this Niberite Alliance. It's pretty bad if no one picked up a novel on it, because like anything, anything in Star Trek that's mentioned automatically somehow has a novel tied to it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised there's not like a whole series of books on the Niberite Alliance with pictures of Worf on the cover. Yeah, they sound like they're supposed to be like the French Foreign Legion or something. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he just, he saw that like Wolverine had like, you know, a 150 issue solo series and he's like, why not Worf? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. All right. And then so we get uh, Quark and Garrick have a conversation about the insidiousness of root beer and the Federation where, you know, I believe the line from Quark is, is, and the messed up thing is if you drink enough of it, you even start to like it. Um, and that's maybe one of my favorite moments in the entire series. It, you know, it's this really kind of fascinating kind of commentary on the Federation and arguably it being, you know, culturally imperialist. So it's very, very great scene. Very great scene. 
Yeah, and let me just point out that root beer and darts play way too heavy a role in DS9. Uh, I don't think root beer comes up that much, although maybe I'll be proved wrong. This is like the third time. And that could be like the name, that should be like the name of a podcast. The like root beer and darts and you go to it and it's a DS9, you know, retrospective. I don't think it has the the punch of Babylon 5 v DS9, just personally. Yeah, that's Um, true. Well, so there was the reference uh, that kind of set this up with Nog ordering a root beer and uh, Quark being disgusted by that late last season. But was there another reference? I feel like there was someone said something in relation to root beer, but it was it was involved quirk. I just don't remember after that. I feel like I would have caught it because I I remembered this scene anyway. It's one of my favorite scenes, so I, I feel like I would have caught it, but may, maybe I didn't catch it. Maybe there was yeah. one I missed. It, it, it'll come up again though, so don't worry. I'm sure it will. Yeah, and uh, speaking of good dialogue, we've got Odo on fire this episode. Um, If a Klingon were to kill me, I'd expect nothing less than an entire opera on the subject. (laughs) That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a great line. (laughs) That's, yeah, yeah. That's that's brilliant. Yeah. We also have an amazing little bit of choreography, uh, or actually a couple of amazing little bits of choreography. Did you have any favorites this episode, Matt? Not really. I mean, there was just a lot going on, action sequence-wise. Um, yeah, we get that stunt man in a Bajoran security uniform taking a dive off the balcony once the uh, once everybody on the station is fighting the Klingons hand to hand. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, they went they went all out for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Matt, who was your character of the week? Bob, my character of the week is Worf. Got to give it to Worf. And you're you're. You're, you're such a what, what's the word I'm looking for? Star fucker. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> just so yeah. you make a, you make a movie about somebody and Matt's just there. He's just dick riding. It's a whole sucking up. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole. Uh, <laughs> it, this is the wharf. It's a, it's a wharf film basically that this is, and it was good. I enjoyed it. I, I liked it yeah. better. Yeah. Wharf. We should have. We should have just introduced this as Wharf the movie. Yeah, it really could have like, been but, a Wharf the movie. Yeah. In between, in between Star Trek Generations and Star Trek Contact, First Contact, there was Star Trek Worf, the movie. Or I guess it should have been the motion picture. Excuse Worf, me. the motion picture. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it was yeah, your character of the yeah. week, Bob. Uh, because I'm a vile hipster and not a star fucker like you, Matt, I'm going to go with Odo. Oh, Odo. Yeah. Odo had some good lines this time around. Yeah, good lines, good lines. And he, and he got to kill Dr. Bashir, which is always nice. Yeah. All right, Bob. So episode of the week, I'm giving to Way of the Warrior. And I just want to say that we continue with uh, B5C premieres that just don't do it for me. Uh, season two premiere, this premiere, it just wasn't, I don't know. I don't know what my, expect. I mean, my expectations were just too high. I don't know. But just, just didn't do it for me, especially the well, introduction of Marcus just was, ugh. Well, yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird, though, because you like the Babylon 5 pilot movie, right? Yeah, a pilot movie was great. Yeah, but you if I remember correctly, you do not like the first episode of the first season very much. No, and I didn't like the first episode of the second season. Yeah, yeah, which is weird. I, I sort of agree with you about the season 2 and season 3 premieres, but I, I still think you're wrong about the season 1 premiere, which I actually think is... It, it's sort of the same way as um, the new Battlestar Galactica, because like that started off with a miniseries, and then so they had to do like a pilot for the season one that you know wasn't really a pilot. Right. And I think both Babylon Five and uh, Battlestar Galactica did did pretty well at like 
giving you um, an episode that's not the first episode because you've already had so much in the background, mm. but it is like very accessible and something you can like jump on. But yeah, I agree with you that season the season three premiere, it ain't it. Yeah. So your uh, episode of the week was Way of the Warrior, Bob. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, even though I'm a vile hipster, I'm not vile enough to disagree with you on this. Ha <laughs> All right, so this has been Babylon 5 versus Star Trek DS9. We are the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. I am Bob from Cascadia. That is Matt from the Southland. We are a part of Uncanny Treks, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening.